Welcome to the Heart of a Man podcast. We are a movement of men pursuing faith, character, personal growth, and meaningful friendships. If you'd like to learn more about us and our mission to rebuild the American family one man at a time, please visit us at heartofaman.org. We hope you enjoy this lesson from our series called Genesis, Why Is It This Way? It is good to see you all tonight. Uh, in tonight's message, I'm going to focus on three, three key ideas, faith, sacrifice, and blessing. Uh, but first, to acquaint our, acquaint our minds with these three elements, I want to use the model of marriage as an introductory practical example of how these concepts apply to our lives as followers of Christ. The first one is faith. In marriage, you make a commitment to your spouse that you will be wholly faithful to them until death causes you to part. Within this faith relationship, there are trials which prove to your spouse and to yourself the validity of your commitment. And these tests of your faith build in you trial upon trial the ability to endure and maintain that faith in each other and faithfulness to one another as long as you both shall live. Sacrifice. In marriage, you're confronted daily with the opportunity, with the opportunity to sacrifice who you are, the things you love, and the things you want for the betterment of the other person and for your relationship overall. But the key element of this sacrifice is your heart. Your heart. If you make these sacrifices with a heart of love and commitment, the marriage will flourish. But if you make them out of obligation or you don't make them at all, you will begin to feel cold, bitter, and start drifting away from each other. The third concept is blessing. In marriage, to the man who lives faithfully in trials, learning to endure, who gives sacrificially with a heart filled with love, he will experience immense blessing, deep connection with his wife, personal and spiritual growth, a changed character, which improves the way he interacts at work, in relationships, and in all other aspects of his life. And Lord willing, he'll be blessed with children who will witness the love and faithfulness of a godly marriage and grow into God-fearing, loving, faithful individuals who will bless the generations after them. And that's where we're gonna go tonight with the story of Abraham. My hope is that each of you will be inspired to live faithfully with hearts that are sold out for the Lord, knowing that God abundantly blesses those who love, fear, and obey him. Let's pray together. Holy Father, thank you for this word that you've given us. God, I, I pray um, I pray that your words would be heard. Um, your word tells us that that your word cuts, to, cuts through joint and marrow and to bone, and it, and it helps us see the things that are in our mind and in our hearts that we can't see. And so I pray that your word would go forth. Lord, push me aside. Please put my mannerisms, my distractions, the way I stand here, just push them away, Lord, so that these guys will hear you, your words, and they'll cut through, and they'll make us the men who you want us to be, Lord. Please, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, the first section of this text is verses one through eight. Faith, God calls Abraham to sacrifice Isaac and Abraham obeys. The key principle is that God leads us into the unknown to test our faith. 
Verse 1, after these things, God tested Abraham. So the first question is why? If God knows our hearts, why does he choose to test us? What is he trying to do? There's two key reasons for which God tests our faith. The first is to show us the genuineness of our own faith. We meet a lot of guys who question their faith. Do I, do I really believe? Am I really a believer? And in some ways, this, the response is kind of simple. It's, well, do you believe in Jesus? And where do you see it being lived out? The tests of life are opportunities to watch ourselves and to see where do I turn when I'm faced with the unknown. In James 2, he says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And then he says, show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. And then he goes on. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that the faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Throughout my middle school and junior high uh, years, my brother and I attended a Christian sports camp together down in Branson, Missouri. And uh, throughout our week that we'd be there, we'd play sports all day, the entire day, and we'd do all kinds of other non-sports, but just adventuresome activities. And one of the things that I remember the most was an activity called the Faith Pole. So the Faith Pole was a 30-foot uh, tall telephone pole standing vertically, and it had uh, pegs nailed into each side. And at the top, about eight feet out from the top of the pole was what looked like a, a trapeze, a metal bar hanging from some cables. And, um, and so the, the faith pole was a timed activity. And the objective was that you got to climb up as quick as you can, uh, stand on the top of the pole, and then jump out and try to reach this, this bar, <laughs> yeah, and, and hope that you can hang on. So that's the activity. So you're standing there, I'm eight years old, I'm looking at this, I'm looking at this thing, and I'm like, okay, here we go. Um, and so the, the, the uh, counselor's putting your, your climbing harness on, and he's putting everyone's on, and while he's, he's doing that, he's been trained. Um, I was a counselor, and the training's not great, but... Uh, <laughs> Um, that's scary, actually. Um, so, wow, that's scary. Uh, note for your parents, be careful what camp you send your kids to. All right, so anyway, we stayed safe. So uh, you're putting the harness on, and at the same time, he's explaining to you, here's all the safety mechanisms, here's the cables, here's how they interlock, so that you'll know this is safe. If I do fall, it's going to be okay. I'm not going to die if I fall off this pole. So you've got this all on. You're standing there. You've been briefed. And then there's one rule that they tell you. The one rule is once you start climbing, the only way down is to jump. <laughs> is to jump. And then they'll lower you down from the rope after you jump. And so with the sharing of that rule, you'd see two different things. You'd see, you'd see the campers, often the, the big tough guys, either bow out or even the better one was they'd get to the top and then they just like, freeze like a cat stuck in a tree, just totally frozen. Faith is a substance that while you can tell yourself that you believe, 
you will not actually be confident in your belief. You won't be confident that it's valid until it has been tested. And so I remember the first time I climbed that thing. I climbed to the top. I remember like my arms are tingling because I'm, I'm nervous. And so I get to the top and the top's the scariest part because it's literally six inches wide at the top. And when you get there, you're done climbing and the pole is swaying like this. And the trapeze is swaying from the wind and it's eight feet out and I'm eight years old and I'm thinking, there's no way, there's literally no way that I can make it to that thing. And so I have two options, stand there in fear or jump in faith that this equipment's gonna hold. James 2 says, show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. Believe what you want. Believe what you want about your faith. But I know, I know mine's genuine because I felt the fear and in faith, I've jumped. What moves a person, what moves a person's faith from theory to genuine confidence is having a moment when you felt the pit in your stomach and you're looking at the situation knowing the only reason I'm gonna take this step is because I believe God won't fail me. In this specific story, we see Abraham demonstrating this learned confidence in God. Beautiful. His faith displayed in action. He's, he and Isaac are walking towards Mount Moriah and his son's looking around. He's thinking, Dad forgot the lamb. He forgot the lamb. He says, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb? But <laughs> this was not Abraham's first test. Abraham said, I didn't forget the lamb. I know what's going on. And he says, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And then it says this. So they went, both of them, together. Even when Isaac confronted Abraham with the unknown, he said, I know what I've believed, and I still believe it. And he kept walking. When was the time that God tested you and you know in your heart that your faith was for real? When was the time? The second reason that God tests our faith is to produce endurance within us. Abraham had already been through some hard tests. God had said, leave your homeland. Go to a country I'll show you and I will bless you. Future tense. You see all this land? It's gonna be the property of your offspring one day, but not for a while. And then in the meantime, wait 25 years for the offspring that I've built these promises upon. And so why test him again? Why put him through this miserable task? James chapter one, he says, consider it all joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Endurance. Endurance. My brother and I work out with each other twice a week. It's been a really cool thing we've been able to start doing this year. And we work out at a place called PXP Endurance. Their whole aim outside of helping common folk like Taylor and I stay a little bit fit is to equip and train endurance athletes, men and women who compete in marathons, triathlons, and Ironman events, 
And so I'm thinking about this lecture and I say to Paul, who owns the place and runs it, Paul, if, you're, if Webster came to you and gave you one sentence, he's a wordy guy, I said you get one sentence to define endurance. How would you define it? He said this, endurance is to persevere, to never quit until the objective has been reached or accomplished. So why does God test Abraham again? And why does he test us? James tells us, a faith that is tested results in a person who will not quit. Man. Mm. Oh, that's good. If you want a faith that won't fail, then it must be tested. Think about this final trial for Abraham. It's the last noted test that God puts him through. Think about it. He's endured all these years. He's, he has endured. He's got his son. And there they are, living in the land of Canaan. What would your tendency be at this point? I know mine. <sighs> we did it. We made it, God. We're here. I got my kid. We got the land. That's it. We did it. This, this is it. I can breathe. But God's providing an example that he wants all of us to see. And he's saying, no, no, you're not done. You must endure until the very end. But why? For the older guys in here, like Abe, <laughs> this week's challenge is especially for you. Many of you who are retired have experienced this battle of wondering, what is the new purpose or focus of my life? God has spent years and years investing in you. Years. And your wisdom and your knowledge and your failures and your successes are immensely valuable. And God wants you to ask this gritty question, what is now the purpose of my life? This is a trial. And by giving you a trial, God is saying, I want you to endure, to persevere until my objectives through you have been accomplished. And in Genesis 18, he gives us such a good picture. He says to Abraham, and he says this to you, I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. So, so what? So that the Lord may bring to him what he has promised him. Like Abraham, your task is now to teach your family and these many young men in here who are leading families without a father or a grandfather, teach them to keep the way of the Lord. If your faith is being tested, it's God's way of telling you he needs you and he wants you to endure. Stay in it. How are you receiving the trials of your life and for what purpose is God calling you to endure? The second section of this text is verses 9 through 14. Sacrifice. Abraham initiates the sacrifice and God stops him. The key principle is that God wants 
our heart more than our sacrifice. The book of Leviticus is one that is focused heavily on this idea of sacrifice. It's filled with laws that specify which sacrifices to offer up for certain sins. Now, here's an out there question for you. If God had handed the book of Leviticus, think about this, God takes the book of Leviticus with all these sacrifices in it and he hands it to the pagan people all around Israel. And then, without believing in God, they take that book and they follow it to a T. Now we know for a fact what would happen to them. We know for a fact that many or most of the people and cultures of this time did perform many similar sacrifices to Israel in their own pagan rituals. So the question is, what made their sacrifices pagan while Israel's sacrifices were considered holy and purified them before the Lord? All throughout scripture, especially the Old Testament, God makes one message very clear. He wants our hearts over our sacrifice. In 1 Samuel, he says, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? And then he says this, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. On this side, of the earthly life of Jesus, we all can see and understand that the effectiveness of Jesus' sacrifice to cleanse us and to save us is contingent not just upon Jesus' sacrifice. It's contingent also on our belief in the provision that God gives us by way of Jesus' sacrifice. In the Old Testament and all the way through to today, sacrifices made void of a heart of belief in the God of the Bible are not sufficient to make us right before God. It is only by faith in God, believing in his commandments and in our hearts trusting that because God says the sacrifice atones for our sins, it in fact does. So the question is, how does this relate to the text that we're talking about today? When we look at this text, it's so easy to get caught up in just the idea of the sacrifice. And so I want you to pause for a moment and place yourself in this moment of the sacrifice. You've built the altar. You've placed the wood. You've bound your son. You've laid him on top. And the whole time, all you're praying is, please, God, don't make me. Don't make me do this. Please don't make me do this. And then you pick up the knife and you realize this is it. God's not going to stop me. I have to do it. Your brain's about to send the signal to your arm and to your hand to make the first cut. You take a breath and you think, okay, here I go. And then God steps in. And he says, Abraham, Abraham. And he says, here I am. I'm right here. And he says, don't lay your hand on the boy. Don't do anything to him. For now, I know that you fear God. God pressed Abraham to this final moment of desperation because it isn't until that moment 
that your heart either commits to the Lord or pushes away. It's one thing to say you'll sacrifice anything to the Lord. It's another to hold the knife over your son's throat. So with that picture in mind, what's a practical way we can apply this idea to our lives today? In my marriage, when I've hurt or sinned against my wife, well, I shouldn't, well, I should go to God and ask for his forgiveness because I've sinned against his daughter. If I refuse to actually confess to my wife how I've sinned against her, if I refuse to slit the throat of my pride by exposing to her how I've failed and asking to be forgiven, then I have to ask myself, is my heart truly contrite? Am I truly repentant? God is calling us to sacrifice for him. In some moments like Abraham, he may see your heart. And as, we're about, as you're about to execute the sacrifice, he may yell to you, Kyle, Ethan, Dave, stop. Now I know you fear me because I know even that, even that, <laughs> that you'll, even that you'll give to me. But at other times, the only way for your heart to be truly right before God is to, set, is to go through with the sacrifice. Guys, I was writing this lecture and I, I sinned against my wife. I did something that was hurtful against her and I, was, I, didn't wanna, I didn't want to say I'm sorry. I didn't want to confess and and God put on my heart, it was this. He's like, then your heart isn't in it, man. If you won't say that, if you won't say, here's what I've done to you, and I'm sorry, he's like, this is what I'm talking about. And so I did. I, I pulled her aside and said, sweetheart, I'm sorry. I got to tell you, I did something. I, I need your forgiveness. And she forgave me. And then God was like, and there's your example. That's the one you needed. <laughs> It's amazing how God works. What is God calling you to sacrifice to him? And what needs to change in your heart by doing so? Before moving to the last section of this text, I hope, I really hope, even if you're not thinking it, you're feeling something within, and it's a question, and that question is why? Why? Why would I choose to do all of this? Why would I sign up to follow a God who is going to make me go through really difficult and painful or, uh, situations? Why would I follow a God who wants to rough me up, to toughen me up? Why would I follow a God who's going to push me to let go to him everything that I hold most dear? Why would I choose to follow the God of the Bible? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's talk about it. The final section, verses 15 through 24. Blessing. God blesses Abraham because of his obedience. And the principle is God blesses those who love, fear, and obey him. Verses 15 through 18, it says, And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven, and he said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and all the nations of the earth 
will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So I'll ask again, what benefits or blessings do you and I receive from choosing to turn our whole lives over to the God of the Bible? The Apostle Paul summarizes it beautifully in his letter to the Romans, chapter five, verses one through five. The first blessing that you get when you give your whole life to Jesus, to the God of the Bible, is salvation from and peace with God. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Whether we choose to believe it or not, each, of, each and every one of us is destined for hell because of the sin and brokenness within us. But those who believe in Yahweh, in Jesus Christ, we are justified, made right by God Almighty through belief and guaranteed eternal life with him. Is that not enough? Is that not enough? The honest answer to that question for me is oftentimes I don't feel like it is for me. I know the answer is yes, it's enough, but in my heart I think, well, that takes care of my eternity, but what gets me through today? What gets me through today? And so Paul continues. The second blessing that we get when we follow Jesus is 24-7 access to God and his provision. Yes, amen. Five, Romans 5, 2, it says, through him, through Jesus. I love this. He says, we have also obtained access by faith into what? Into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. When you choose to have faith in Jesus Christ, you also get access to God every single day, all day. Whew. So many days I wake up and I look at myself and I think, I don't have what I need for today. I don't have enough to be a good husband. I don't have enough to be a good father. I don't have enough to be a good friend or employee. I'm going to fall short today. I will, I know it. But Proverbs 3, God says to us, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. By trusting in Jesus, it says, I get access to God's grace. What is that? That is his unrestrained provision for me, which I have not earned. And he doesn't stop. He says, and it says, and I will experience joy in hope, knowing this is incredible, knowing that when he provides, I, I personally will witness God at work. I will see God's glory in my life here and now when he provides. I'll see it now. I'll see his glory now. That's something to be excited about. Woo. All right, but he keeps going. Come on. Blessing number three, he says, 
So blessing number three is true character. True character. I love this. Paul is pumped up when you read this. He is amped. He says, not only that, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces what? Character. Character. Paul gets amped. He says, I'm pumped up about, character, or about suffering because I know when I'm suffering, God's putting a new character inside of me. U.S. Navy SEALs are a group of men who earn the right to be a SEAL by enduring thousands of hours of being brutally beaten and tested. And what comes out at the end? Men who are nearly unstoppable. But not, that's not the important part. They're unstoppable because it's men who will fight for goodness, justice, and righteousness down to the very last drop of blood in their bodies. Imagine a man like that in every single household. A man who will give every drop of blood for the betterment of his wife, of his kids, of his neighbors, of his coworkers. That is the type of man through which, as Genesis twenty-two seventeen says, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. A man of godly character will change his world and will thereby change and bless the world at large. That's incredible. The final blessing here is hope and love. Paul doesn't stop. He just keeps going. Romans 5, 5, he says, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he's given us. Hope and love, hope and love, aren't those the two things that every single person is so longing for? Hope and love. I don't want to feel despair and hopelessness. I'm tired, Lord. I'm tired. I am tired, Lord, of feeling angry and afraid. I'm tired of that. But when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we have hope. In what? We just said it. We're saved from our brokenness, and we're guaranteed a place in God's presence forever. We receive God's grace, support, and presence today and forever. And we are given a new character that changes us and makes the world better. And we have love. God's Holy Spirit fills each of us who believes, allowing us to feel God's love and enabling us to genuinely love other people as we never could on our own. That is why all this suffering and testing in God's name is worth it. That's why. That's why it's worth it. And so my question to you guys tonight as we leave is how excited are you about the blessings that will come when you commit your life fully to God? How pumped are you about that? We need to be excited about this because that is the only reason we will go through that. That's the only reason we will choose to endure is because there's something that's worth it and this is worth it. God has a plan for the world 
and for the people he created. And he's invited each of us to be a part of that plan. But he has some expectations for those who will join. He says, faith, you must have faith in him alone and accept that your faith must be tested so that your faith can be proven genuine and you will actually be able to endure to the end. That's the only way. That's the only way it works. Secondly, you must sacrifice. You must have a heart that loves and fears the Lord. And this, this is what the scripture says. This will include letting go of all the things that you hold most dear. Many times literally, and other times just between yourself and the Lord. And what does God graciously give us in return? Psalm 128 says this, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. He says, you shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Your wife, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house, and your children will be like olive shoots around your table. And then he says, behold, look, look. Thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. That's how we'll be blessed when we fear the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us be men who fear the Lord, who follow after you, who have faith in you, God, who give our hearts to you. We don't just make the sacrifice. That doesn't matter. Lord, we have hearts that love you and fear you and obey you. And I pray for these guys here, for myself included, Lord, that we will leave here and we will read your scripture and we will be just ecstatic. When the, endure, when the trial comes, when you think, I can't, when we think I can't do this again, we think, no. Lord, help us to think. Help us to think, to believe, no. I can, I will, I have to, I need to, I want to, because those blessings are so stinking good. They're so good. It is worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. Help us wake up tomorrow and go, it's worth it. Whatever it is today, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it, Lord. And it is worth it because you made it that way. Thank you for making it worth it. Lord, help us stay in it. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.